millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with, I guess, not just one, but two co-hosts now. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. Our third co-host is strapped onto me with a, uh, what is this one, a baby Catan wrap. And uh, we are both under the umbrella of protection of God and of my husband, her father. And she is also under my umbrella of protection and that's why we will never get in a car wreck or have anything else bad happen to us. Did you know I have never been in a serious car crash other than like a fender bender? I never have when I was the person driving. But my family was in a pretty serious car accident when I was, I think, around six. We got T-boned at a stop sign by a car that was going like 40 miles an hour. And it happened to hit us right on the frame between the passenger front and passenger back seats. The... They had to use the jaws of life to get someone in my family out. Um, the paramedics and the firefighters on the scene said that if the car had been six inches, if they if they had hit us six inches further forward or six inches further backward, then one of my family members would have died. Thankfully, the Lord protected you and your family from serious injury on that day. Yeah, we walked away with, uh, I think, one concussion and one broken bone. That's horrible. 
but still. You like, know what? That I I can live with the idea that that God had something to do with protecting us in that situation. What I take issue with is a couple of things. <laughs> Number one, the yeah. idea that God protected us because of Bill Gothard's Bill Gothard's patented triple umbrella of protection. Like, if God is to thank for protecting us, it's because God always desires the best for us, not because we were following some arbitrary made-up rules. Also, <laughs> the other thing I take issue with in, in this situation is the, the concept of physics. Heavy moving objects at high speeds just kind of do what physics tell them to do. And that doesn't mean that I can't have a personal belief that God wants the best for us, desired for us all to live, helped things line up the right way where, you know, the car hit us at just the right point and everybody was okay. But it's foolish to deny the science behind this. Yeah. And don't forget automotive engineering. You know, they had to put crumple zones in cars, make sure that they create like a sh if you get into a wreck they create a shell around the the passenger compartment to mm -hmm. try and diffuse any kinetic energy any exactly you know, like that's i don't why cars are safe now cars are safer yeah <laughs> i i don't take issue with thanking god for protecting us in that situation or if you had a had a situation medical situation or whatever and you thank god for protecting you i don't think that's totally wrong i just think it's silly if you don't think science as well like, I'm thankful to God for Chuck's safe birth and safe arrival into this world, but I'm also thankful to myself for my strength and my bravery and my ability to bring her into this world. I'm thankful to the nurses and the midwives who are there. I'm thankful for their intelligence and their training, and I'm thankful to modern science, which I, I just, I don't like when people thank God and don't appreciate the, the, the people who also helped. Yeah, you know, my dad was a doctor for uh, 30 years, and one of the things that he would tell me is he, he would say, you know, like, if you do something right, people thank God, but if they if you do something wrong, they blame you. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that's, yeah. I'm sure that's very true. Yeah, uh, but before we get into all that, um, I am obliged to say, I'm obligated to say that the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my good friend and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the IFB cult, Independent Fundamental Baptist cult. So we talk about this cult, other cults, religion, fundamentalism in general, and the real and present danger that they pose to society as a whole. And we seek to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, freedom of religion. So if this is your first time listening, welcome. We would highly recommend that you check out our first episode where we talk about what makes something a cult, as well as our five-part First Family of Fundamentalism series with the history and the leadership and like the skeletons and all of like the scandals and the crazy stuff that this like cult has. And also, if this is the first time you're listening to it, you should definitely, because this is part two of a two-parter, you should definitely go back and listen to part one. But if you're a returning fan, we appreciate your support. We would love to encourage you to go and join our Facebook group where listeners often share their stories, talk about the show, share memes as well. We have a Patreon where you can get access to extended and uncensored episodes of the show as well as some of Sadie's writings. So if you want to know what a real-life cult survivor thinks about The Handmaid's Tale, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. But anyway, as I said before, today's episode is part two of our two-part deep dive into Bill Gothard and the Institute for Basic Life Principles, as well as, what's the other one, ATI, Advanced uh, Training Institute? 
Yes. Uh, the ATA is the homeschool arm of the IBLP. Anyway, yeah, we're talking about those things today. Billy G, Billy Gothard. Yeah. yeah. So last week we talked about the grifty history of the IBLP. We talked about a few of the, the weirder rules and regulations that the founder, Bill Gothard, has set out for people to follow. We went over the ab- absolutely shockingly horrible victim-blaming handout that he distributes on how to deal with childhood sexual assault, the strange, culty, and torturous ways that they deal with, quote-unquote, rebellious children, and we gave an overview of the different training camps and programs put on by the IBLP and ATI. Yeah. So we know that Billy G has some weird ideas when it comes to women and sex and sexuality. Uh, Like he literally makes women chart their cycles on a big calendar in the kitchen. And when you say big calendar, yeah, you mean a really big calendar. Yeah. Because he encourages people to use no birth control at all in any way. And many of the families that follow Gothard have eight to ten children or more. I mean, like, I what what if you have, like, horrible, horrible pain and, like, because, you know, that's one of the things that they give you birth control for is to control the pain. Um, know, yeah, that's the curse of Eve and you just deal with it. There is many non-family planning reasons why people take birth control. Yeah, I had a friend who, um, who went on Accutane as an adult and they required her to also be on. That's the, is that the, the medicine? I don't know. That's for, that's like for serious, serious acne. I can't remember what the name of it is. Um, there's a medicine that will pretty much fix any acne, but it's like made. It's a major ordeal to go on it, hmm. and they will not. If you are a person with a uterus of childbearing age, they will not let you go on this medicine unless you're also on birth control. Why is it like a high rate of birth defects? The birth defects are so bad. If you were to get pregnant, the company won't be responsible. Like they cannot be responsible for the level that it would mess up a fetus or a baby if you got pregnant. Well, that's upsetting. Um, um, well, you know, it helps a lot of people. And yeah, with modern science, we can prevent those people from getting pregnant while they're on this medication. You know, and I looked it up just to see, um, speaking of the calendar, though, back to the calendar, you can see it in some of the episodes of 19 Kids Encounter. Like, I had to Google this. It is, it's literally a fucking easel that they've got here. Like, I mean, he might as well have like one of those giant projectors you know like in the classroom when you're at school or when you're at college yeah i believe this is a method of humiliation Mm. because in society in general periods and menstrual cycles are kind of taboo and that can be used as a method of control over people who have them and a source of shame i'm thinking about uh there was a woman who started bleeding while she was running i think the london marathon and people were like taking pictures and putting her all over tabloids and like literally girls just trying to run a fucking marathon. Yeah. Like No, I do they, remember seeing And that's that. used as a method of like control over people. Oh, well, you shouldn't run during that time. I mean, that's inopportune, but Oh, like, okay. So female athletes can can or athletes with uteruses can compete in 90 or can compete 75% of the time and people without them can compete 100% of the time. That's yeah, that's great. Um And it's also used as a method of shame against people. And we know that this is just like a biological thing that bodies do when there's nothing shameful about it. But I think that this practice weaponizes the general sense of shame in culture against women to an even greater extent, against uh, assigned female at birth people. And that adds to 
the the control that the cult has in general over them. I mean, it's you know, like imagine like going downstairs and being like, okay, well, my sister's skin looks blotchy this week. She's got some pimples. I better check the calendar to see why. Like, well, that's a theft that's, of privacy, right? Yeah. Like, imagine, okay, so imagine you as a man. Imagine being the brother in that situation. You now have information on your sister that she shouldn't be able to choose who she shares that with. And, but she doesn't get a choice. It just gets shared with you. So, like, it reinforces to your sister that her body's not her own and that it belongs to your father and then later to your husband. But it reinforces to you that you are owed information about other people that you can use to control them. That yeah. that, by, by virtue of having a Y chromosome is something that you deserve. So it puts you in a, like, no matter how good of a guy you are in this hypothetical teenage IBLP dude's body, like, no matter how good and wholesome and pure of of a guy you are, you are being systematically indoctrinated into the idea that you are owed something and you have a position of power over your sister, no matter no matter how unlikely you are to use that power inappropriately or cruelly. And that thought does bring me to the first thing I wanted to talk about this week, which is the infamous umbrella of protection graphic. So yeah, this this what is a triple umbrella, right? Yeah. Do you want to describe it in case we have a listener who hasn't seen it? Um, yeah. If people need a visual, if you're not driving, you can click over to our Instagram. We've posted one there. Yeah, so I have seen this umbrella. Um, there's this. I think we've brought it up in a previous episode, but uh, uh, so there's one big umbrella, and then underneath the umbrella, the big umbrella is like a smaller umbrella, and then underneath the, that smaller umbrella is another smaller umbrella. So the first umbrella is God protecting you, and then the second umbrella is it will be your pastor, right? And then the third umbrella is the pastor protecting the wife, and then. It's the wife protecting the children, right? So, yeah. So God protects the husband, the husband protects the wife, and the wife protects the children. In the IFB world, you are likely to see the pastor added in as another umbrella over the husband. So in the IFB version of the graphic, you might see God protects the pastor. The pastor protects the husband. The husband protects the wife who swallowed a fly, and I don't know why she's... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, in the in the IBLP graphic, it's just like God, husband, wife, children, because the pastor is they're they're more literal with their patriarchy, and the pastor is less of an important part of that equation. Yeah, so I can think of something wrong with this because one thing. (laughs) Yeah, just one thing. Well, one thing jumps out to me right away, and maybe it's just the way that my brain works is it's very uh, engineering focused and uh, uh, technically focused on some things. Uh, is that so this umbrella right it is it is like one umbrella stick and then there's like four three or four umbrella like things on <laughs> like you know <laughs> but like there's something because like if you have just one big umbrella of god protecting you right why do you need three additional layers of protection you know right it's it's like does this graphic claim that god's protection is insufficient that's what it says to me like if you're saying this you know like yeah i i that is one issue with this graphic um my favorite xati tiktoker her name her screen name is backslidden dot harlot 
Uh, I'll bring that up again at right the end of the show so you can go follow her. She just brought this up in a video. Like, if it's raining, isn't that big umbrella going to keep all the rain off of everybody underneath it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, from an engineering standpoint, this is the opposite of what you want. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you've got protection, you want weakest protection up front because that's like the the planned fail point. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So, like, if say you're in a car crash, right? If it's like a minor car crash, you know, if it's just like a fender bender, bumpers are going to take all the upfront impact. So it's not going, you're not going to have to replace a lot of the body work. You know, none of the mechanical components are going to be damaged or like, you know, it's like in an electrical system. You know what I'm saying? Like if you've got a guitar amp, you're going to have uh, the uh, like a fuse that's going to blow before there can be like a power surge that would damage any of the tubes because those are a, a more expensive component. So you have a, like a cheap thing that you know is going to fail up front, like as like, you know, a fail safe like that's So like right. say like a really big gust of wind turns the big umbrella inside out. You've got all these smaller umbrellas. Like what? You're totally fucked. You're absolutely yeah. fucked. But like this, it's not going to work. I mean, the whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense doesn't once you sense. start thinking about it. The IBLP view, just to be fair, is not that women can't speak to God or have a relationship with God. But it is that every woman needs a headship. Usually that's your father until it passes over to your husband, which makes weddings a disgustingly literal transfer of property. Um, You have to pay a dowry. I don't think most of them do. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure some of them do. Um, I would be shocked if I found out that that's not a done thing in certain churches and certain communities. There's some oxen changing hands. Um, I don't even know. Um, But there is like, they will, if you watch any of the, especially the early Duggar weddings, there is a, there's a lot of language around like the transfer of a thing from a husband, from, from the girl's father to her husband. If the father of the family dies, the girls of the family will sometimes have to have their oldest brother as their headship. Um, Maybe... The mother's, if the mother's dad is in the IBLP and is faithful, that might be their new headship. But there's like the the concept that I'm trying to get at is that they believe it's very dangerous for a woman to be without an owner. I'm sorry, headship, hmm. and that's gross. Yeah. So if you're say you're an unmarried Duggar child and Jim Bob were to die. That would make your headship a man who is currently awaiting trial for possession of materials depicting a child sex abuse. Yes. Yes. Um, so. The IFB similarly believes that every woman needs a male leader, but they're less literal with who it can be. In the IFB, if you're an adult unmarried woman, um, you're allowed to, to live on your own. You don't have to live with your parents. You can have an apartment. Um, you're allowed to have a job in a car and pay your own insurance and stuff. The leadership can be your dad, even if you don't live with him anymore, as long as you consult him on all the big decisions like who you marry or where you go to church. The leadership can also be your pastor, again, as long as he has authority over the big decisions in your life. Um, The IBLP is a lot more literal with like the little decisions making a difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the IBLP, they dance around the word ownership, at least publicly. But women are absolutely treated like and spoken about more like property. In the IFB, it's leadership. So the connotations of controlling your behavior and you needing to be a follower are played up. And in the IBLP, the connotations of ownership and submission are more highlighted. 
So it's like in the IBLP, they call it headship. Yeah. Yeah. So have you seen Thor Ragnarok? I think I have. So there's this Jeff Goldblum plays this character who's like the dictator of this like garbage planet. But like every time he hears he hears somebody say slaves and he's just like, oh, I don't like that word. Can we call them prisoners with jobs instead? Oh, Oh. (laughs) yikes. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm thinking. Like, it's like ownership. They're like, no, it's not ownership. It's headship. Like it, it, but it extends to who you date, who you marry, what you do, what you wear. Like, yeah, and also yeah. things like whether you're allowed to have a job outside the house and where you can work, how strict you have to be with the many, many clothing, hair, and makeup rules. That that kind of it applies to just about every area of a person's life. Yeah, I do want to get into some of the clothing rules in the IBLP because they're they're different from the standard IFB rules in some pretty significant ways. But I don't. I'm not just trying to like finger point and laugh at their strict rules. There's a different philosophy behind it than IFB rules, and that's what I want to illustrate. Yeah. So IFB like so IFB rules are like it's basic modesty, right? You know, like skirt three inches below the knee, shoulders covered, no pants for women, mm-hmm. can't show boob. Like, what what's the IVLP rules? So the IFB rules do vary from church to church, um, which is a di- another difference with the IBLP. Um, so because because Bill Gothard just lays out his rules, it's just so more it's centralized. Yeah, it's just do you follow it strictly or do you not follow it strictly? In the IFB, there's there's a different set of rules at every church. Uh, the basic set would be skirts only, never pants. Skirts below the knee, usually X number of inches below the knee, depending on how strict your church is. My church was on the more lenient side. It was just you can't be able to see your kneecap when standing or sitting. So in practicality, that comes out to about two inches below the knee. Oh my god. Sorry, I have to sidebar what? here because I literally just figured something out. What? Wait, what? I I I. I Oh my goodness. Okay. So I love high-waisted pants and skirts. Pretty much everything I wear is super high-waisted. Like if my pants touch my rib cage, I'm happy. I was I loved maternity pants. I was so happy. I just want to say that I think that it was a good thing that you were in the cult in the mid 2000s because that's when low-rise denim was was the thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm always scared that it's going to come back God because I us. can't stand wearing anything <laughs> low rise. And I just did. I just figured out why. Why? Because I spent all of high school and college wearing skirts super low on my hips so that they would be long enough. Oh. So I would buy skirts that were like an inch too short and then I would just scoot them down on my hips if somebody was going to check the length. And so now that feeling of having to wear something low on your hips is triggering to me. Wow. I literally just figured it out that that's why I, I hate the feeling of low rise stuff so much and I can't stand it. Well, okay, dude, do you remember the the saggy pants trend? Yeah, how could I not? Of course, it was like a huge. I'm sure the IFB hated it. They were all over it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so you know how like the IFB tries to copy outside fashion, but like make it church modest. Yes. You know, like so. I just got this picture in my mind of somebody sagging a denim skirt like they did in oh baggy jeans in like 2004. <laughs> it was it's the funniest mental picture. I <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. No, but you're absolutely right. like low rise denim bell bottom jeans. That was like popular in the mid 2000s. It was a travesty. Um aesthetically like so also low rise denim is terrible for anybody who's got a belly or who has had a cesarean. You know, yeah, I mean, I just I, I feel like 
I always thought like, oh, I don't like them because of the shape of my body. And now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I think I don't like them because of the feeling. Like, I can't stand anything tight around my hips because of that feeling. But I was going to say, I love when I figure my life out on air. Yeah. (laughs) But back to the IFB dress code rules for women. Uh, Skirts only, certain length, no cleavage. Usually they use like the three or four finger rule. Oh, I should explain the four finger rule. What's the four finger rule? So four finger rule or three three finger rule. Four fingers like Spock, like live long and prosper. Sort of. Um, It's like, (laughs) it's how you would measure if a top was too low cut. So you take your hand with all four fingers together, like the hand the hand shape that you would use if you were going to shake somebody's hand, and then you'd place your palm on your chest with your index finger just below your collarbone in the middle of your chest, like you were doing the Pledge of Allegiance, but put your hands in the middle of your chest, not off to the side. And then if it's four-finger rule, your top had to be at the bottom of your pinky or higher. Uh, if it was three-finger rule, it had to be at the bottom of your ring finger or higher. I think I explained that well, but I'll post a visual to Instagram. No, I, I like I'm visualizing on myself right now. Yeah, I'm doing it too yeah. because I got because I'm so used to it. Yeah. So wait. So if you've got big ha- or small hands, so if you've got small hands, then you can show more boob. No, big hands, then you can show. It would more be boob. big hands in theory, yeah. but in practice, if you have either large hands or large boobs, they're just going to disregard the rule and say that you can't you can't show it. You can't show that much, um, and they're probably going to make you wear this awful modesty panel type thing that clips onto your bra Mm. they're all they're the worst invention ever they are so bunchy they're like the bane of my existence for like 10 years so like literally it's like a a panel of cloth and it clips like in between the straps yeah it clips to the straps like on either side yeah you could do that or you could wear a camisole underneath your shirt but getting your cami up high enough was also a pain in the ass in videos of like quote unquote worldly teens from that time in history, you'd see them like hitching up their pants because they were below the low rise pants. Or you'd see girls like pulling down their sweatshirts because people were wearing all of those god awful layers. Yes. And you'd see people like adjusting their clothing constantly and like pulling things down and like fixing themselves. It was the same thing in the IFB except for you were constantly yanking your cami like up to your chin so you wouldn't get in trouble with dress check. And it's got to stay that high. Yeah, so you're yeah. like yanking it all day. So you're like constantly having to check yourself all day just to make sure that like nothing's sliding down. Because if it's like if it slides down, you don't fix it. Somebody sees it, you might get in trouble. Right. Uh, also, in my sector of the IFB, and I think this was pretty common, we had a, a no lace on camis rule. So I, I think back then it was really common to put a little a little line of lace across the top. We couldn't have that. They also couldn't be made of silk or satin or anything shiny because that draws attention. Thanks, Jack Scop. Uh, and this was a big problem in the early 2000s because if it, if it didn't have lace on top, it was shiny. Like because those those like shiny, silky camisoles, like people would wear them with like jeans and heels, and that was a thing that people wore at the time. So it was just the the biggest pain to try to find plain cotton ones with either straps that you could alter yourself to make it higher. Or like the little like the like the bra strap adjuster thing on them to make it higher. And so he had like he had a whole sermon that he did about them though. Yes, which I was like, there for. Yeah, and we <laughs> talked about how he was like, it looks like lingerie. It's wrong. It's well, gross. It's, yeah, you yeah. you left out the important detail where he preached the sermon to a room full of teenage girls. It was a teenage girl specific meeting. It's mm. not like he said that in front of the entire church or at like a grown ladies conference that I happened to be there at. He said that in front of a room of teenagers. Yeah. Only teenagers. You. 
Yeah. Yikes. The rest of the rules were pretty straightforward in the IFB. So no shoulders showing. You wear stockings to church and school. Nothing tight enough that it stretches on your body or shows any curves at all. Uh, heels under three inches unless you that made you taller than your youth pastor. And he yelled at you for that, which for legal reasons definitely did not happen to me. So men who get upset about people being taller than them are like their own type of energy, dude. Like... <laughs> not and it's not at all like a top tier good type of energy you know what i'm saying yep i do anyway these these rules are pretty draconian yes um ifb rules so what's the iblp version of these rules so the main difference is in intent and then that difference in intent plays out in practice uh when i talked about the ifb versus the nifb i talked about how the theology is different the nifb has a different reason for why they believe the King James Bible because they believe inspired and preserved, uh, but that the King James Bible is also inspired. Um, like God helped the translators. The regular IFB as, as a whole doesn't believe that, although some of them do. So the theology is different, but the practice is the same. Like they believe different things, but it leads them all to use the King James Version. In the IFB and the IBLP, it's kind of the opposite thing. They believe the same thing, but it leads them to a different practice. So in the IFB, uh, modesty is pretty much just about avoiding lust. So you don't want to draw the eye to any body part that would potentially inspire lust. But they pretty much, I mean, they're not a fan of shoulders or knees, but they pretty much mean like sexy parts. So like what the world would consider sexy. The ankles. Uh, IFB have no issue with ankles. They have no issue with really with collarbones, like um, being stylish. Or if you're like Tarantino, you got a foot fetish. Oh, the, the entire IFB has a foot fetish, but so does Bill Gothard. And we're going to get to that. Um, wow. <laughs> but, Did not expect that, but okay. <laughs> oh, this, this guy's full of surprises. In the IFB... <sighs> He's a spicy man. Uh, he's he's spicy like mayonnaise is spicy. In the IFB, being stylish <laughs> or looking dressed up wasn't an issue. Even being flashy was not really a problem. I've mentioned that, that Hiles Anderson and First Baptist Church of Hammond staff wives were encouraged to wear really flashy, bright colored outfits because that was something that Jack Scott liked. So we're talking, it, it's... Jack Hiles is buying fur coats for his mistress. Yeah, and Jack Hiles was all yeah. about like big jewelry and like uh, big hair and fur coats and that kind of thing. A movie star in the 1940s. Jack Hiles thought he was a movie star in the 1940s, I'm pretty sure. So under the Jack Scott regime, people wore like gigantic statement necklaces. They would clip fake flowers or large bows into their hair. Uh, cocktail rings, like big rings were a big thing. Uh, wide, bright patent leather belts and bright colored patent leather, leather high heels. Aggressively coordinated outfits, uh, like lime green and zebra print. So much f***ing zebra print at Hiles Anderson in like the early 2000s. And animal print was like a thing in the 80s and nine, in like early 90s though, right? Yeah. Like it was the sexy thing that was really in. So sometimes. Yeah, I've seen Motley Crue videos. Yeah, so like sometimes you see these like these days and people are like, oh, that's a throwback. Yeah. And you know? I know like. It's not the thing anymore. Well, I know some people are really into animal print and I'm not necessarily hating on that. Leopard or cheetah, it can be done tastefully without looking like a 
Carol Baskins. I feel like the new thing now is like floral print is is more of a thing. Yeah, that's, that's right the now thing at the moment. Animal print, yeah. But like leopard shoes or bags are a statement piece. Like I know people who like that. It's not really my thing, but it can look fine. Um, I had a pair of leopard print shoes that I really loved back in the day, but I really, really hate zebra print with a passion. Yeah, for me, zebra print has a strong association with like coke nails. It makes me feel like we're in boogie nights. For me, it has an association with this girl that I went to Hiles Anderson with who was a real bully and like everything she owned was zebra print and neon pink. And, and I think like I have good good reason to think that she's grown up a lot now. Like, she doesn't seem nearly as awful anymore. That's a, a look though, zebra print and hot pink. My first dorm room at Hiles Anderson, my roommate's pastor's wife picked out all of her de- all of her decorations, which is a story that I'll tell another time because it's actually a pretty wild story um, how that happened. But she had everything was zebra print and hot pink. Mm, anyway, that is... <laughs> it was it was a nightmare living in that room. It really was. Yeah, that's that sounds distracting. You're trying to get your studying done, and it's just like. Yeah, it was. It that room was. You didn't have any say in the matter. Well, no, neither did she. But I, I don't want to tell that story right now because okay. it's it's a funny story. Um, I'll just I have to do one episode just all about people who were my roommates at Hiles Anderson because that girl was super sweet. Um, her pastor's man, that her pastor's wife was weird. She hated the weird colors as much as I did. Anyway, in the IBLP, so in the IFB, modesty is just to like avoid lust. In the IBLP, they take it a step further than that because the intention isn't just to not draw attention to sexy parts. The intention is not to draw the eye to any part of your body. So Gothard calls your face your countenance, and everything is supposed to enhance your countenance and draw the eye up to your face. So a slit in a skirt, even if it doesn't go above the knee, that's not allowed because that draws attention away from your face. Uh, drop weight, drop waist dresses, any lace details pretty much at all unless they're right around your face. Ruffles that are not at the neckline. Dangling necklaces and earrings and any writing on your clothes at all. And dark nail polish and heavy makeup and certain hairstyles and v-neck necklines. All of these things pull attention away from your face and don't enhance your countenance. Dude, this is like the vibe. You, you know dudes on the internet who are like, makeup is basically lying about your appearance. Ugh. You know those dudes? Yes, of course I do. Yeah, that's like this is the vibe I'm getting. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that a little bit more, but Gothard also has a real preoccupation with long curled hair. You can see in the early Duggar episodes when the family is getting ready to attend Gothard seminars, all the teenage girls have very long hair, like waist length hair, and they're taking a lot of time to curl it just right. If you have naturally curly hair, you've got to straighten it and then curl it in like big barrel curls. That's a huge pain. Remember how I feel like the shoulder pads and the wide belt look thing that I feel I feel like Scop encouraged people to dress that way because that's what he liked to see. So he wanted all the women around him to lose weight and dress in a certain style because he wanted them to be visually appealing to him. I think this is the same thing. I think Gothard just gets off on super long hair. So he's made it like a commandment for all the young women around him to have long hair. Yeah, nothing unusual about male cult leaders telling all of their followers to dress in accordance with their own sexual preferences. Right. I mean, that's pretty par for yeah. the course. <laughs> Uh, the yeah. other half of the Gothard appearance rules are based in what he calls the design principle. And to illustrate the design principle, I want to talk about one of the wisdom booklets that discusses this principle. So it's wisdom booklet number 42, and I will 
post a link in social media so that people can can take a look at this. Okay, so I just opened this booklet up because we've got a link in our um in our outline. The first thing that I'm seeing is that it is talking about using steroids to make people taller. What is this that I am reading? So this so is... this is curriculum, remember? <laughs> this is this is this curriculum. Is a school book. And this uh, book, the, the, the point of this one, talks about how you shouldn't change anything about yourself because God made you the way you are. And I think it's it's super obvious that, of course, they use this to shame trans and non-binary people who need hormone therapy or need gender confirmation surgery. Uh, but that's not mentioned in this book. I just want to run through what's actually in it. So it talks about the 10 unchangeables. And those are... My physical features, my mental capabilities, my parents, my gender, my brothers and sisters, my birth order, my nationality, my race, my time in history, my aging and lifespan. And the 10 unchangeables are a whole thing in the IBLP. They have a little song to teach children about them. And I'm sure you can kind of see all the issues with these things. This book is so all over the place. So each wisdom booklet is supposed to cover five different topics. So it's linguistics, history, science, law and medicine. And it will find all six of these topics in a scripture verse and then give examples of that. The whole idea is that the Bible contains everything that we need to know. So for linguistics, Wisdom Booklet 42 defines some Hebrew words from a Bible verse and then talks about DNA. And the information about DNA, okay, I don't think it's 100% wrong, but it is very vague. Okay, so what does it say? Because I had real biology class in high school and my dad was a doctor. And you can maybe tell me if this is totally off or not. So the title of the section is, How do 10 Hebrew words explain the folly of taking thought for one stature? And I'll just read off the bits about DNA. Uh, okay, here we go. Only in recent years have scientists discovered the DNA ladders which contain the master plan of all life. Was this spiraling wonder of embroidery described by the creator of life in Psalm 139? At the moment of conception, a marvelous multiplication begins, which eventually forms all of our physical members. Each member is composed of millions of individual cells. But how does one cell become a part of a bone, another cell become a part of a follicle of hair, and yet another a part of a fingernail? The answer lies in the amazingly complex function of DNA. DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. It controls the life of every cell and therefore the life of every organism. This control functions in at least two ways. First, DNA controls all the hereditary information from one generation of cells to the next. Second, DNA determines the form and function of the cell by regulating the kinds of proteins it produces. Okay, so I think that's not too bad so far. Yeah, that seems all like... That that doesn't seem the stuff about DNA. I think is accurate. Yeah, it just it doesn't tell you right? how DNA makes one cell part of a bone or part of a follicle of hair or part of a fingernail. No, because what it really is, is is it's the DNA is basically the code that tells the body what proteins to produce. Right, which is like stuff that I did not know until adulthood. But it doesn't know. It doesn't. I I would I would like more information. I'm going to continue to read. I have one more little passage. DNA ladders are large molecules which lie tightly coiled in the chromosomes of each cell. Each chromosome is, taught, is thought to contain one DNA molecule, which, if stretched out, would be approximately 16 inches long. When these DNA ladders divide, each new ladder is an exact duplicate of the first one. Thus, the code continues to dictate cell growth from generation to generation. 
The message contained within the DNA ladders determines stature and every other physical feature of our bodies. It is like God's code book in which every cell obeys informing our members. Having this background in mind, let us examine the words of Psalm 139.16. Okay, uh, and what's Psalm 139.16? Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. I don't see how that's related. To DNA? Well, that's the thing. This verse is often, most often used by anti-abortion advocates who believe that a person's entire life and soul are set in stone from the moment of conception. There is a lot of life begins at conception rhetoric in this wisdom booklet, which is not really my problem. My problem is that it doesn't come out and say it. So it doesn't say like, and this is why abortion is bad because life begins at conception. This annoys me. It's just implied. And it's when you imply things like that, rather than coming out and say them What you're trying to do is get your audience to come to a predetermined conclusion and think they got there themselves. And that makes a stronger belief. So a child who reads that Life Begins at Conception stuff, the book never says, and this is why abortion is bad. But that child is obviously going to be led to the conclusion, and this is why abortion is bad. Um, Hmm. And having come to the conclusion themselves, so they think, is going to be a stronger conclusion than had the book just said it. That's a brilliant point. And I think that's manipulative. And I think that's very wrong for a school curriculum to do. Of course, personally, I don't agree with people who say that life begins at conception. I don't agree with people who say that being gay or being trans is a sin. But I'm able to have respectful discourse of those with those people and be generally respectful to them if they have an actual reason behind their belief and if they have if they're able to state that belief that they have in a respectful sense. I, you know, I I cannot, I can dislike those beliefs. Um, I can strongly disagree with them. But if somebody just has a different belief than me, they're not using it to enact violence against people. They just believe differently. I can be respectful, no matter how strongly I disagree. I do not and I cannot respect people who have these harmful beliefs, but will just imply it and won't come out and say it. And they're not willing to back up their beliefs with any kind of real evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Like you, you, sorry, what was that? Like if you can't, if you can't express your controversial belief in a way that is nonviolent, explicitly nonviolent and respectful of others and clear and bold, uh, I've lost all respect for you. Yeah. A lot of people have controversial takes. Yeah. uh, And, but I mean, and sometimes you just got to come out and say them, but you know, people are going to. People might get mad about it and then be like, why do you think that? Right. And then and then if you can give a a logical reason, then a lot of things I'm okay with disagreeing on people with we're disagreeing with people on as long as their belief is I should be able to hurt this person because I don't like them. That's different. So the next chunk of the wisdom booklet, just moving on, it's defining and expounding on the translations of the Hebrew words in that scripture, reinforcing the anti-abortion parts still without coming out and saying it which still makes me mad. So the book shows an image of what is supposedly the ear of a six-week gestation fetus, which I find highly suspect. I can't prove it wrong, but also I feel like you'd need a microscope to see that. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure it's six. I'm pretty sure when I was six weeks pregnant with Chuck, they told me that she was about the size of an apple seed. Or maybe it's just copied from something that is like entirely wrong. Yeah, like it could be, it you know, could be like, totally wrong, or it could just be. Maybe they're like, "Oh, this is six weeks old." No, this is actually like eighteen weeks old, but they just f- 
and said it six weeks because somebody it's I mean, it's less well sourced than an Instagram infographic. Right. Yeah. The next section is is titled How Can Understanding Four Words Free Us from Taking Thoughts About Our Statues? And it talks about our worth being defined by redemption, identification, transformation, and glorification. It talks about how Rembrandt's paintings weren't worth anything while he was alive, but they were redeemed later to be worth millions of dollars. It also talks about a necklace that some guy bought at like a flea market for $25 and it ended up belonging to Napoleon. So he got a bunch of money for it and we're redeemed like that necklace or something. What? And there's also a story about a guy who found a Stradivarius on the side of the road and then it was worth a bunch of money. And I'm pretty sure that one is fake because I think we know where all the Stradivarius violins are. This is all just like urban legends or Bill Gothard is just a huge <laughs> diehard like antique roadshow fan. Yeah, like I think that's I think that's what this is. And I don't there's like no provenance. That's the thing. Like, no, but that's the thing is that like before the Internet, you know, before like Snopes.com, people would just think things, you know, there would things. be tons of urban legends going around. He'd be like. In one of these, one of these things is like, did you know that Elton John uh, had a, a? No, I'm not going to tell that Ur- urban legend. Or it's going to be like, oh, did you know that this lady uh, had a baby like implanted in her intestines because the uterus wasn't working, or just some sh- like that that like you would hear as like an urban legend. And then people would just believe it. Well, you know, yeah, people. Snopes is it. all lies because it's owned by George Soros. Oh, man, we're going to get anti-Semitic in here, man. They That's think that- what I heard growing up. Um, anyway, so so here's the next suggestion from this wisdom booklet. Uh, here's a project. Okay. Have family members all agree that any time a personal item is not returned to the place it belongs in your home, mother has the freedom to put it in the redemption box. She can then establish a redemption price in money, work, attitudes, or a combination of all three. Describe your feelings about the item which needs to be redeemed before and after you redeem it. Picture how God must feel toward you after redeeming you with the priceless treasure of his own son. Does this mean that if you don't clean your room, you're essentially not letting Jesus into heaven? No. Jesus loves you like you love your toys, and God is like your mom who puts them in a box. No, that doesn't work. No, Jesus loves you like your toys, and you love your toys more if you have to work for them. Also, help your mom clean the house because she has like 12 kids already and she can't do it by herself. I mean, that's not entirely wrong, but the metaphor seems kind of a... a... The metaphor's mixed, for sure. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, I mean, I get your your mom being like, oh, you leave your toys out. You can have them back when you help me like unload the dishwasher. So that, sure. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, like that's fine. Fine. I I, I feel like... I feel like the (laughs) funnies are the worst metaphor makers. Yeah. And the worst like analogy makers. Well, because they think like the thing is that like they think that like everything in the in their life is allegorical to the Bible. Except for the Bible, which is literally literal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't I don't I So the next section of the wisdom booklet is for history. You want to get into history? Yeah, let's get into history. Okay, good, because it gets even weirder. Um pages fifteen through thirty-two are on Joseph Merritt, who is otherwise known as the Elephant Man. Uh, see what what does it go through? It goes through how women used to think that anything traumatic or scary that happened during pregnancy would affect their baby. Uh, so his mother thought that it was her fault that he had this uh, deformity because she saw an elephant while she was pregnant and it scared her. It also talks about how his stepmother was mean to him 
and the reason that she was mean to him is because she rejected God's design for him. And God's design for him was the disease that caused him to appear deformed. Didn't he have the same thing as Rocky from Mask? I don't know what that is. You, you haven't he, seen Mask? No. It's Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll have to do that for homework. It's this movie about this. I, I think he's got the same thing as, as Elephant Man. Okay. Um, I, I, it, I might, I don't, it might be based on a true story, but it's about this kid. And I think he, uh, I actually, I shouldn't spoil the ending, uh, okay. but the mom in the, he's friends with his mom is played by Cher and she's like in with all of these bikers and the bikers, you know, they're like this kid's family. Um, oh, it's a good movie. That does um, sound like a good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. He had a disease that caused bone spurs and benign tumors to grow all over his body. But his head grew to something like 36 inches around because of the mm. growths of bone. Here's what Gothard had to say about him. Okay. Joseph could easily have chosen to be bitter, but through all of these humbling experiences, God poured out his grace. The young man accepted it and was able to forgive those who had hurt him deeply. And then the other, the, another Gothard quote is, he learned to smile with his spirit even when he could not with his face. And, and I there I could read you a lot more quotes from Gothard about this guy that I have issues with, but I really don't want to do that because there's there's such an air of it, it all just seems so exploitative. Yeah. And I'm not into it. I mean, I always feel like whenever I hear preachers harping on about somebody with like a terminal illness accepting God, that always feels really, really skeezy to me. Because also like, you know, if say you've got a terminal illness, right? Okay. Like, what are you going to do not accept? <laughs> like, I feel like really turning to God is like the thing that you do when you have a terminal illness, even if you're not otherwise religious, right? Right. Like people you get in car or like you get in a, in a car accident or an accident of some sort. And like most people start praying, even if they're not religious. It yeah. is it is because religion has been ingrained into our society and and people have kind of seen that portrayed in media or because they've always kind of wondered if there was a god and they want to hedge their bets or for a lot of other reasons like that's a normal thing to do when you find yourself faced with death is that why old people get like really into jesus you know old people who've been like oh f my i i lived like a terrible <laughs> life when i was younger now i gotta get really into like you know a lot of boomers do i feel like they're just like i did a lot of f up in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s now i gotta like get super into jesus so that i can feel like i've faced redemption for all of those all the crazy sh that i did back then like i mean i think yeah i think that's that's one reason and then they get super like judgy about it like towards other people and like high horse yeah i think and and that's where i start getting an issue with it because yeah. i i look at religion as like religion should be for you like if religion works for you then that's a good thing like religion works for me so this guy joseph Merritt, he undeniably had a really rough life and i don't think there's any reason that i can see to say oh he probably didn't find solace in religion because he probably he probably did like he probably did turn to religion to to give himself you know reasons why he was disabled uh that seems like a very normal thing to do but the whole thing the the way that bill gothard is framing this it implies that it was god's will for him to be disabled and what i'd like to know is how does bill gothard presume to know what the will of god was for a man who lived and died a hundred years before him 
And also, why would it be God's will for someone to be in immense pain? If a disabled person or a sick person themselves feels comfortable believing that it's God's will for them to suffer, I won't get in their way. Uh, I won't argue with them. It's their life. But I personally, I don't believe that God causes pain and suffering because I think that if you have a medical problem, you have a medical problem for medical reasons. It's scientific. It's random choice or it's a lifestyle choice that you made or it's something that you were exposed to that made you sick. I, I don't look at those things as God's will because I don't believe that God wills us to suffer at least not uh, as is a matter of course thing that God wills for people. Like God can give strength through medical issues and God can give strength through disabilities. For sure, God can work through suffering and God can work with suffering to bring about good because that's what God does. God makes all things perfect. But I really firmly do not believe that God just randomly picks people to suffer horribly so that he can work out his plan. I, I just, I think that God can do his will and God can make things beautiful and God can work out his plans without needing to just randomly cause pain. Well, isn't this similar to the thing where you believed that if your friend was being rebellious, God would kill you to teach them a lesson? Yes. It's like the exact same thing where it's like, oh, God gave this person a, a, a disability and like a serious health problem that shortened this person's life dramatically so that they could teach other people. Like That doesn't line up with my beliefs about God and my beliefs about God's will. Yeah. And I mean, if it was me and somebody told me that it was God's will for me to suffer, then I would tell them that it was God's will for them to go and boil their head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so also this guy, Joseph Merritt, the other thing that bugs me is that he could never have given permis- permission for his story to be used in this way. We don't know how he felt about his disability or his life story, and his story shouldn't be being used to manipulate other people after he's dead and can't respond to it. It, it feels like to me that Gothard is using Joseph Merritt and his story to continue to use and manipulate others. Yeah, and but that's kind of how these fundies think, though. That like this is very yeah. like run in the mill because like you know if it's for the glory of God, I don't need to ask permission. Yeah, that's that's the thought process. Like if they have a problem with it, it's because they're not right with God. Yeah. I mean, it's like that one guy from that hymn that you they made you do over and over. That the lady, uh, what was her name, Fanny Crosby. Yeah, Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. He's the, the guy whose wife and kids died. Yeah, um, and he made the hymn. Yeah, it is well with my soul. Thirdly. Merritt did have some surgeries to try and correct his condition and make his life easier. Gothard's whole point with this thing is that you should just accept God's will and not do anything about your conditions. And Merritt's not even a good example of the point that Gothard's trying to make. And I don't think for a moment, based on the information given in Gothard's own wisdom booklet about him, I do not think that if he lived now, he would deny himself medication or surgery that could help him. Because even back in the time he lived over 100 years ago, he was having very risky surgeries to try to correct his condition. So that takes up 15 to 17, I think 17 pages. On page 33, this wisdom book transitions abruptly to the science portion. So let's see what we're going to learn about science from this wisdom booklet. Yes, I'm very intrigued. So the science portion is about turkey vultures. And the main point is that they are uglier than eagles, but they fly faster than eagles and they have other positive attributes like being 
more sanitary and their wings are better or something. Uh, it poses, so this, this section poses the question, if you were given the option of becoming a, an eagle or a vulture, which one would you choose? I would choose neither. I would choose to be an owl because they can fly silently and they don't need speed. They don't eat dead like vultures and they don't steal from other birds like eagles do. So owls are a top tier bird. Um, eagles and vultures are a B tier bird. In my okay, opinion. what's a peregrine falcon though? Aren't those oh, the ones that have the fastest yeah. airspeed of any bird? Because that's what kind of what I want to be. Yeah, see peregrine falcon also top tier bird. Because that's I'm all about the I'm all about the, the top speeds. Okay, you're about top speed. I'm about um I'm about like uh you know ability, like special ability. You know, like if if yeah. it was like you know, create a character and you're like had bird stats, you know, Peregrine Falcon will be all the way up at the top at speed, right? Right. And Owl will be like lower in speed, but like stealth would be like top. Yeah. And that's I, what you want. I just like being fast. Also, like for like looks, owl is like above vulture and above eagle. Eagle's pretty cool, but owl is like above eagle as far as like cool. See, looks. owls kind of freak me out. Their little round heads are strange to me. Well, it depends on which kind. Not all of them have round heads. Really? Yeah. I don't know about birds. I didn't have biology in a normal way. Oh man, owls are cool. Also, as far as like being on the front of Rush album covers, owls are also like top tier. But irregardless, none of this stuff makes any sense whatsoever. I feel like all of these are just like a, you know, bad sermon illustrations and anecdotes, and none of them actually make sense or have any real point. Yeah, my issue with this isn't like the bad illustration quality of the whole thing. My issue with this is that this is school curriculum. Like a lot of IBLP and ATI families supplement with ACE or another curriculum. So the kids learn more about math along with weird myths about dinosaurs and how the elephant man praised God. Yeah. I mean, imagine going to school and then, and then like you come home and your parents are like, Oh, what'd you learn today? And you're like, today we learned that vultures are better than eagles, which is, by the way, an insane opinion. I guess, I don't know, we better replace the eagle with the vulture on all of our money. I, I don't I don't know. This is well, these ridiculous. kids wouldn't be yeah. going to school and learning this. They'd be learning it at the school of the dining room table. Yeah, no, imagine like you're going through your lessons with your kid, right? And then it says vultures are better than eagles. You'd be like, what the f*** am I teaching my kid? Well, what's really crazy is that there are I, I wasn't able to turn up exactly how many states because I didn't want to spend an hour researching this this week. But there are there are states where this is legal. Like this can just be your school. What? I guess Arkansas. Yeah, I, I know that Illinois is pretty lax on homeschooling laws. Um, Illinois just makes you show that you have a curriculum. They don't investigate your curriculum like they don't read it they just say okay can you show us that you have an actual curriculum with lesson plans for your children you know that's enough you've seen mean girls right yes i have you know at the beginning when she's like oh i was homeschooled and then they're like (laughs) people usually think about homeschooling and then the kid's like god gave us the rifle so that we could fight against the dinosaurs (laughs) and the homosexuals like that i thought that that was like a joke (laughs) But I, I don't know. I know people who are homeschooled whose parents really, really tried hard. And, and you know, I, and we all know those homeschooled kids who like took Latin and 
memorized entire Shakespeare plays and like we're super overachievers and we're probably better off being homeschooled than they would have been a regular public school. Yeah. Uh, but for every one of those, there's probably 10 people who are learning vultures are better than eagles. You know what this reminds me of? What? This reminds me of when, when we were kids. So m- me and my siblings, me and my two brothers are all kind of very close in age. I'm four and a half years older than the youngest one. Three of us just very, just two, 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 two years, two and a half years apart. Really close. So my brothers, my brothers used to get into arguments about ridiculous things because they're brothers. You know, like Spider-Man better than Superman, that kind of thing. Yeah. But the one that they had that was really epic was, are hot dogs better than showers? If you could only have one of the two things for the rest of your life, would you rather have hot dogs or showers showers that's the only opinion yeah this really reminds me of the 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 hot dog versus shower argument it was like a four, like a two-hour argument the one who was <laughs> the one who was arguing for hot dogs over showers made the point that hot dogs represent all food and showers represent all bodily hygiene so whichever brother it was his argument was that that food is more crucial to life than hygiene I mean, fair. Yeah. So but, it wasn't. It wasn't cut and dried. But this whole like vultures are better than eagles and like why is this important reminds me of the great hot dog versus. Listeners, if you're coming back to this uh, and think that we just had a weird jump in our thing, it's because uh, Chuck uh, got a little bit fussy and uh, we had to take a, a short break to <laughs> get her a little calm down. Yep. And <laughs> totally lost our train of thought. <laughs> Our, our one collective brain cell. Yeah. We share we share a brain cell in today. Today it's on vacation. Okay. So the next section is all about body proportions. And the title is How Does God's Forethought Make It Easy for an Artist to Draw a Person? What? Wait, what what? It it's the the, the uh, subtitle is Authority Through Accuracy. Uh wait. It's not (laughs) clear what this is supposed to be, really. Wait, so God was like, you know what? I'm a huge fan of artists. Um, I'm going to make some people called artists, but if I make people too complicated to draw, then it'll be hard for them to draw them. So I'm going to make people simple looking, and then artists will be really cool. That's what this title implies, uh, yes. mm. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think it's part of the science section wait this is in the science section it's not clear it's right after the eagles and vultures and hot dogs and showers bit what um this is something else so it's just some strange drawing lessons uh including they include how to it includes how to draw humans at different stages of life so it shows you like oh well a baby is like three heads tall and an adult woman is like seven heads tall and adult man is eight heads tall and it goes through all that kind of thing okay so i just pulled up because uh, we have links to all of this stuff i just pulled up the pdf of this do you see the um, part where it shows you how to yeah. draw a two-month gestation fetus as well yes very because that's a thing that i need to draw i mean i just had one of those inside my body like 10 months ago here's how i draw it it's a grape I mean, I mean, I just had one of those, you know, living in me and I I really didn't. Yes, that is you. And I really didn't feel the need to draw that. (laughs) Okay, so I'm looking at this right now 
and so this how to draw people section it looks like it was lifted directly from the when so when i was a kid i was really into comic books i was really into also art and and, and drawing and stuff i had this book that i think my parents got me one of the scholastic book fairs that was or that i got at one of the scholastic book fairs with my ten dollars maybe there wasn't a new captain underpants out that year uh but it was a how to draw marvel comic book characters book that i had when i was a kid and there's a little thing in here that it is uh in in that book that i remember it showed okay so men are eight heads tall women are seven heads tall um like children are like four heads tall and superheroes were like nine or ten heads tall because you know they they had to like you drew their heads smaller so their bodies looked like huge and jacked and stuff except for spider-man because he was shorter because he was only like 16 or 17 but like wolverine was supposed to be huge the hulk was supposed to be huge the thing was supposed to be huge you know captain america was supposed to be huge like it's directly lifted from that how to draw marvel characters but like i swear it's just drawing lessons but with like a very heavy dose of like we draw things this way because of god yeah, I don't think famous Jews Stan Lee and Jack Kirby would be too happy knowing that some Christian fundy cult weirdo was out here plagiarizing their work, but hey. Yeah, you know. so this is just like the, the whole art thing is just a sidebar actually because it takes another hard left turn into more weirdness to finish off this book strong. We've had so many left turns and like – We've had so many left turns. We've turned all the way around at least once. Call us NASCAR, man. That's what's going on. So many left turns. It's like the the Brickyard 400 up in here. Like (laughs) Talladega. Well, the next section is the law. It's the law section. And in the law section of this book, it's going to talk about in vitro fertilization, IVF, Mm. like so it goes, and what's really strange, strange, it's just so strange. It goes over like the the progesterone estrogen cycle and all of that. And it's With actually scientific cr- accuracy. Yeah, it's like it's not incorrect. But then it immediately goes into saying that if you do IVF or any kind of like any kind of fertility treatments at all, that you're not trusting God because if God made you infertile, you shouldn't try to fight his design for your life Mm. so i pulled a quote for you there are some interesting points in this quote uh here's what gothard has to say a woman may be able to get what she wants by violating god's design but the consequences are far more costly than she realizes okay what are the consequences okay i can tell you that but also why is it a woman like why you know typically people who get IVF or fertility treatments are couples, and very often they're heterosexual cu- couples. Very often they're homosexual couples, though, right? Yeah, that, I, yeah, but I think over half are probably heterosexual couples. Right, they're having fertility issues or something. But uh, like a lot of them, how many of them you think are like gay couples that are uh, that are? Oh, like, I don't know, like the percentages. But yeah. Gothard, Gothard is making this out very clearly to be a woman in a cishet relationship. Hmm who wants to violate God's design because he goes on later to talk about how, oh yeah, also this allows lesbians to have babies, which is bad. Well, it seems wild to me that like all of the stuff with like sexual violence, you know, they're like, oh, well it takes two to tango. And if you get attacked, it's partially your fault. But like, if it's, oh, 
uh, in vitro fertilization is evil. It's 100% the woman's fault. That's, that's the thing here. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what he's implying. So there's a lengthy section about IVF and different fertility treatments and how bad they are. Uh, blah, blah, blah. It allows gay people to have babies that shows that you don't trust God, so on and so forth. The thing that I hate about this the most is that Gothard managed to write this entire section on IVF and reproduction without using the words sperm or egg. He he uses that phrase, the man's seed, throughout this entire section. Man's seed. And what what does he use for egg? He doesn't mention them at all. Uh, Yes, let me just plant my seed in somebody's belly and grow a little man. Like man's um, <laughs> this is it's, it's gross, gross and weird it's like alien is is the vibe i'm getting it's just gonna like erupt out of your belly button you know right. like like a, like a tree instead of <laughs> yeah yeah he also so so he'll say uterus but he won't say vagina obviously which is like typical for fundies i just i don't what do they say they say lady garden birth canal because birth all canal. it's for is birthing yeah um let's they don't see know. it's a two-way highway you know i don't know that bill gothard knows that he for wouldn't sure. know that would he no no so the other real mind blower here is that <laughs> gothard says that surrogacy or ivf with donor <clears throat> seed is adultery and i had to pull a quote on this because i just i want him to be able to speak for himself with his own batshit words you know <laughs> I don't want to put words in his mouth. So he says, marriage is an exclusive covenant between the couple and God. A husband and wife commit themselves to one another and to God for life, and he makes them one flesh. Anything that violates this exclusiveness, regardless of whether it involves physical relations, should be considered adulterous activity. This is what I don't get, because in the Bible, especially like look at the book of Genesis, right? In the Bible, all of the men in there had multiple wives and also like side pieces who were not their wives. It was just like a well-known thing that men were, were getting up to. And yeah. And like, like oh. according to Gothard, we're still supposed to keep a bunch of old Testament law, but not that part. Yeah. The, the explanation by the fundies, if anybody's curious is that uh, God allowed people to have multiple wives so that they could populate the world more quickly. But now that the world is populated, we don't do that anymore. Uh, that, but then they'll also go tell you to have 20 kids to repopulate the world. Okay, yeah, but it's important that you have 20 kids because your kids are white. That's the that's the difference right there. Right. So, so this is just like this is just like a whole interesting, interestingly crafted world of bullshit. Nothing. None of this shit makes any sense. And Chuck agrees with me. Chuck agrees. So there are other wisdom booklets that bring up the same concepts as well. But all of it ties in. It's it's Gothard's opinion that you shouldn't wear anything that detracts from your countenance, your face. But also that you shouldn't change anything about yourself. Because to change anything about the design of your body is to insult God's design and what he made you to be. And then this is immediately hypocritical because for some reason ear piercings are fine, but dyeing your hair is not fine. But very light makeup is okay, but heavy makeup isn't. And it's a right to try to heal diseases if you have diseases, 
but you can't transition if you need to transition and it's a sin to even want to be taller. Which really makes me wonder if he's just short and insecure about his height. Dude, this guy seems like such an incel. Like, to- like yeah. He, do you okay? Do you remember like a year ago when I went into that incel slash MRA forum? Yes, I remember this well. And and had to, it was like our third episode or something. But I had to dig up all those requirements for women and like that these guys had for like an acceptable woman. Like this is literally the exact same. Shit. Yeah, I mean it is. Yeah. It's exactly that. By the way, just to finish off this wisdom booklet full of wisdom. It finishes with a section on medicine and the medicine section. So the law section was about the evils of IVF and other fertility treatments. The medicine section was about the evils of steroids. Okay. Well, steroids are pretty bad. Yeah, but I I feel like they're bad because science, not bad because God. Like I can get with the idea that murder is bad because God, but I really Mm. feel like if steroids are bad, it's because of science. (laughs) And I know we're, we're getting pretty close to being able to take up the offering, but what I wanted to point out first is that this is just the appearance standards, and this is just one wisdom booklet. There are, drumroll please, 54. 54 wisdom booklets. 54. What? We would literally have to do months worth of podcasts to go through all of the ridiculous, minuscule, like highly specific rules that Gothard lays out for his followers. And all of them come with a side of how to think how to train your brain to think his way. It's it's not hidden. It's not subtle. It's a blatant example of thought control and behavior control all in one thing. You know, if uh, to our listeners, if any of you were raised in the IBLP and you have uh, wisdom booklet segments that you remember being especially ridiculous, please tell us which ones they were. Please send them to our email, which is leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Maybe at some point in the future, we'll we'll like go We'll just do like a, a greatest hits show where we just yeah. read our favorite quotes out of Wisdom Book. That would be funny. We'll do like a tier list or like a countdown for our top 10. <laughs> that know. would be great. I love countdown episodes. And one of my favorite podcasts, other than Leaving Eden, obviously, does a top 10 every once in a while. And it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Um. I, by the way, I am linking an archive of every single wisdom booklet in PDF form in the show notes for this episode. So if you feel like digging through them, eat your heart out. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe we should do a contest. Who can find the most wacky paragraph from a wisdom book? Yeah, whoever can find the wildest paragraph from a wisdom book by, uh, I don't know when, by our anniversary episode then we'll send you a mountain moo mug. Okay, that How sounds great. That? Yeah. That sounds that sounds great. If you <laughs> or are, a if mountain moo shirt. If you have so much time on your hands that you want to trawl through every one of those wisdom booklets, send us the one paragraph that you think is the, is the absolute wackiest. We'll see, and we'll do an episode on it at some point. Yeah. So, I chose to just focus on the appearance stuff and I picked this particular wisdom booklet because it's It's just like very specific and it's just about one concept. So I thought it was a good example to kind of go through what this curriculum has to offer. And I I thought there was a lot to talk about there as well. But what I want our listeners who weren't raised IBLP to understand is that he has this kind of specificity to his rules for just about every area of life. Like, 
I think I mentioned last week's episode that uh, whether or not you wear a tie or what tie, you should pray about what tie you wear on any given day because God could be in that choice and it could save your life. Like the control freakiness of this man knows no bounds. Okay, so I just Googled Bill Gothard height because I wanted to know how tall this guy was. Uh, and it did not give me a number, but it did tell me that he is a Scorpio, which f***ing tracks. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a Scorpio rising, I think. Yeah, but that's a rising sign. That's, that's not your diff- I know. sign. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, when we get back, we're going to talk about Gothard as a cult leader. And of course, we're going to talk about what a man with that kind of power chooses to do with the power that he has. Okay. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, That group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. Uh, We're here. We are talking about the man, the legend, the weirdo, Billy G, Billy the goth, (laughs) Willie the goth, Bank Bills Gothard. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I called him Bank Bills because he's always just conning people out of money. Uh, Whatever you want to call him, I'm going to Billy G. He's a cult leader. He's a grifter. He tells people what to wear. What are we about to talk about here? Well, considering the stories that we have covered about Jack Hiles, David Hiles, Jack Scott and Josh Duggar, what do you think we're going to cover? What do all of these guys have in common? Let me think. Should be prison, but sadly it's not. It's slipping my mind right now. What have all of these guys done that uh, they're not supposed to do. Uh, would you mind telling our listeners? I, I will let them know. Uh, so we are going to talk about the jokes aside. We're going to talk about the the sexual assault, uh, sexual harassment allegations against Bill Gothard. The, the upside mm. of this, if there can be an upside, is this is a story of grooming 
really, truly creepy and icky grooming. This is a story of extremely inappropriate physical contact. There's so much, like, squick factor and non-consensual touching here. It's gross. A small part of it is illegal, but most of the victims here are over 18, which shouldn't be a blessing, but in this f***ing world it is. Um, Mm. All of the victims are late teens or early 20s. There's no little children being hurt here, which, again, shouldn't be a blessing, but in this world it is, uh, in the world of the IFB and IBLP. And there is no rape as in, like, forcible penetration in this story. So it's basically him being a creepazoid that did not do anything to the level of Joe and Evangeline Combs, but that's an extremely low bar, so... Right, uh, right. and I'm not, again, not on the level of the accusations against, like, Josh Duggar... Or even Jack Scott, really. Um, I don't. Jack wanna... Scott is like the level is like a step past Bill Gothard. Like if it's if it's like he's, a, yeah, he's yeah. he's I don't know, yeah, he's definitely a, 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 a bridge beyond this. So it's like Bill Gothard, then it's Jack Scott, then it's well, it's Jack Hiles because what, Jack everything Bill... that he did, which he probably did, was consensual, as far as we know. It was adulterous, but it was consensual. And then it's so Jack then Hiles. Yeah, so then you have, so you have, like, Jack Hiles and then Jack Scott, which is crossed to the line of illegality. And then you've got David Hiles. Yeah, but Bill Gothard would come between Hiles and Scott. And then you've got Joe and Evangeline Combs, which is like... Yeah. Well, Josh Duggar goes after Dave Hiles if proven guilty. So there, yeah. there's our scale. There's our scale of Baptist uh, Baptist bad men. Actually, uh, allegedly, uh, Jack, uh, Jack Hiles, no, Dave Hiles and Josh Duggar are both guilty of similar crimes so no you're you're right you're right because of the briefcase no you're right i forgot about that there's so many crimes gavi there's so many crimes all the crimes all of the crimes okay what i'm trying to say i don't want anybody to think that i'm trying to diminish the level of bill gothard's misbehavior because he has been a very bad and creepy man here the reason I'm going into these these details this way is for our I know we have listeners who are very sensitive to sexual assault and sexual harassment for good, very good reasons, no matter what those reasons are. And I want those listeners to know that this is this story I'm going to tell today is high on the creepy scale, but low on the violent scale. This is not going to be horrifically violent like some of our other episodes. So if your trauma does not have to do specifically with grooming behavior, you can probably listen to this one, even if some of our other episodes bother you. Okay, so what, what's the story here? Because Bank Bill's Gothard is uh, unmarried, so according to his own teaching, he cannot be doing anything related to sex, right? That That's right. 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 Mm-hmm. He is supposed to be a chaste virgin cult leader. Right. Like the olive oil. Right. Uh, well, he's probably... Extra virgin. St- extra I was going to say, he's probably still extra virgin, uh probably no just regular virgin not extra virgin because this is like if if he was extra virgin he wouldn't have done any of this stuff okay yeah you're right you're right yeah so he's like olive oil that you can put into sunscreen like homemade sunscreen lotion but not olive oil that you want to put into your pasta no hate just want to say no hate out here to the octogenarian virgins out there but it takes a special kind of weirdo to be an 80 year old virgin and telling married people when they can and can't uh, and that's why I'm making fun of him. Exactly. Like if you, our listener, are choosing for 
literally any reason in the entire world not to have sex. Uh, that's fine, cool, and valid. Just it would make you a weirdo if you decided to then create an entire subset of religion around who can and can't have sex and with whom and at what times on the calendar. Yeah, you could be uh, asexual. That's cool. You could be cool a Catholic, and valid. Yep. You could be a Catholic priest. That's also cool and valid. Oh, that'd be so rad if we had Catholic priests who listen to our show. If you're a Catholic p- priest and you listen to our show, please get in contact with us because we might actually want you as a guest. I know we have uh, a Methodist minister who listens to our show. We do have a Methodist minister our, who um, listens. He's in our, our, our podcast Facebook group and he's he's very cool in there. Very nice guy. So the IPLP has two headquarters. One is outside Chicago and the other one is in Big Sandy, Texas. For a family to participate in ATI, which is the IBLP homeschool program, the whole family has to agree to follow a whole big list of rules. So like what's on the list? So a few of the things that are on the list are that the mother will not work outside the home, that if the parents are divorced or separated, that they will make an effort to get back together, and that all unmarried children in the family will participate in the ATI way of life, and that all unmarried children in the family will work through the wisdom booklets with their families. Okay, that doesn't sound that ridiculous as far as Right, especially considering, like, these are fundies. Like, marriage age is between 18 and 21. This is, like, expected stuff. This is... yeah. So a lot of like, so, but what Bill Gothard doesn't want is somebody who's 20 and is living in their parents' house and isn't going to get married until they're 22, who's not going through the booklets with the family. Hmm. Whatever. The thing is that it's typical in the most dedicated ATI families that once one of the children is 18, 17, 18-ish and not married, that they may get chosen by Bill Gothard or by another ATI leader to go to work at one of the IBLP headquarters. So Bill Gothard is going to say, I choo choo choose you? Yes, he is. He is very literally going to, to do that, sometimes with creepy words of affection or praise, especially for young women, as we will find out. Yeah. Um, rather go on a date with Ralph, honestly. <laughs> Ralph is nice. Ralph is sweet. <laughs> he's a little gross and he's not that smart, but he would never uh, do any of the things that Bill Gothard uh, allegedly has done. Jim Bob and Michelle were in the closet making babies and I saw one of the babies and it looked at me. <laughs> Jim Bob and Michelle are about to come out of the closet and say, you're damn right we were, except they wouldn't say damn. They're like, and this is what you get when you get married. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, <laughs> So so you might get sent to IBLP headquarters if you're like a really sold out kid in the ATI and you graduated high school and you don't have anybody that you're courting and your parents want you to go do something good with your life. Like It's like Bible college for people who think that Hiles Anderson is way too liberal. Hmm. You can also get sent to go to headquarters um, to work there if you're a little bit led astray by rock and roll or whatever to try to get you back on the right path. So headquarters is full of 17 to 21 year old kids who all live in like dormitory type living and they all work for Bill Gothard and give him free labor because his ministry is shilling books and pamphlets and seminars and curriculum and CDs and DVDs and whatever. Nothing says definitely not a cult like a free labor force of uh, children. Of like children and barely young not children. Like, yeah. Barely not children. That's like. 
Mm. Right. And 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 um <laughs> so I've I've not been able to track down like what the salary, quote unquote, is for for being there. I know if you're there, you get your room and board taken care of, and there's like some kind of payment. I can I can say with a very high level of confidence that I do not believe they pay minimum wage or give out paychecks. I think they give you like an allowance, like a stipend. Yeah, um, it's considered a ministry. I really I really tried to track down like what they pay you, but I wasn't able to. And I know that this not cult is also selling millions of dollars of materials. So. I know they're making money off these people. What I wasn't able to track down is how much money they're making off of these people. Well, at these training centers, predictably, is where 34 women and counting have accused Bill Gothard of grooming them and inappropriately touching them. 34? Yep. Bill Cosby numbers. Holy crap. That's... Oh. Yeah. Like, this is a this is a large number of accusers. Uh, and I'm going to get into later... And I'm going to get into in a minute how these stories line up in a in a in a way that makes it very clear that all of the stories are true. That these stories all corroborate each other, and I think that's really valuable um, when you're trying to build a case against somebody, especially without with a lack of physical evidence. So a lot of these women were young women or teenage girls would get recruited by Bill Gothard in person at one of his seminars that he did around the country. Uh, And then when they got to headquarters, he would ask them to join his personal secretarial staff. Uh, I read a quote in a blog about this that said, the prettiest girls always get asked to work as Bill's secretaries. And that kind of, that seems to be his MO. Yeah, that isn't not at all unsurprising, considering what we know about this guy. Don't you just want to say that's not at all surprising? (laughs) I get bored. Okay. Language is a paintbrush, (laughs) Sadie. Okay, fair fair enough. (laughs) I would like to remind our listeners that I own the words that I say on this podcast, and Gavi's in charge of his own words. So if you want to come at all, if you want to come for him for isn't not at all unsurprising. <laughs> That's on him. Uh, don't tweet at me. Don't tweet at the podcast Twitter. This is not my responsibility. Hmm. So you've got up to hundred. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Okay, we're back in the swing of things here at Leaving yeah. Eden. Uh, so you've got up to several hundred young people living at what they call headquarters in Big Sandy or in, or in Northern Illinois for months or years at a time lots and lots of young men and women and they aren't allowed to touch each other at all or be alone in a room all of that normal like fundy rules and bill gothard handpicks girls to be his secretaries that is not creepy at all uh why are you asking (laughs) right uh so i'm getting most of my information on this from the website recoveringingrace.org this website has Detailed testimonies of people who were there at headquarters during this time and seven of the young women who allege that Gothard uh, groomed them or non-consensually touched them. Uh, several of these young women, he, young women he met in his travels doing seminars and then personally asked them to come work for him at headquarters. And some came of their own accord or were sent by other leaders in the ATI movement. Either way, when they got to headquarters... So I'm, I just want to talk about how how Bill Gothard's 
way of doing things was kind of always the same because I think that's very good evidence for him being purposeful in what he's doing. He's got a pattern of behavior. He's got a very distinct pattern of behavior, like an extremely solid, like settled, repetitive pattern of behavior. And that's what's kind of weird to me. So he would get them to headquarters one way or or another. And when they got there, he would almost immediately ask them to come to his office. And he would start working on getting these girls used to being in a room alone with him. Right, because they're not used to being in a room alone with men, with any man. So a lot of them mentioned that they questioned him at first. Like, is it okay for us to be in here? Shouldn't we have a chaperone in here? So he's overcoming those objections early on. Uh, I'm not sure if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but one of the very few exceptions to the rule of never ever being alone with someone of the opposite gender in the larger fundy world is counseling. Counseling is a fundy answer to psychology. It's always done by a pastor or assistant pastor or some kind of spiritual leader. And as much as they hate Catholics, it's weirdly similar to confession because you tell that person whatever you have going on and then they offer you solutions based on their views of the Bible. Yeah, can we do a full episode on counseling at some point? Because it, like, it seems to come up in like a lot of episodes, right? Right. Yeah, because no, right. Jack Hiles was famous for it, Jack Scopp. Famous for counseling there and counseling what for Jack Scott, that was the pretext that he used to get time alone with the high school girl that he was abusing. I'm feeling a little tense talking about counseling. And and that's because I have been the recipient of a lot of counseling Um, (laughs) and a lot of therapy. So, you know, and a lot of therapy. Um, You know what? I can categorically say the therapy has been more helpful, uh, a lot more helpful. (laughs) You would expect that. If there's a person that does counseling at my home church where I grew up or at Hiles Anderson College, I guarantee I have cried in their office. I have sought counseling from so many people because when I was in the IFB, I was trying so hard to be a good person and trying to keep myself together and follow all the rules. I just struggled. I just mental health. My mental health was just in the trash can. Because I, you know, I have anxiety and I have depression and I felt like those were symptoms of me being sinful somehow or me not trusting God enough. And I was also severely burnt out by the time I was 16 because I was working so much for the church. So I had all that going on on top of having PTSD. And with all that going on, you really do need to talk to somebody, but it should probably be a therapist and not a counselor who's going to tell you to just work harder or read the Bible more. Well, it's not really a counselor. It's just like some church person who's like the one abusing you. The the reason for your trouble is like, you know. Yeah, like it could literally in a lot of churches, it could literally be that like somebody is the one hurting you and they are also the person in charge of counseling. And that's just that's messed up. But, you you know, you, you can't go to psychologists because they're just going to fill you full of liberal philosophy. Yeah, um, of course, in the funny world, psychotherapy is from the devil, which I think is anti-Semitic, but we can talk about that at a different time. (laughs) Oh, I would love to talk about that at a different time. So you end up doing counseling instead of therapy. Uh, Most typically in the larger IFB world with counseling, if you're a woman and you're trying to get counseling from a man, uh, you will be alone in his office. But he will either ask his wife or another female chaperone who works for the church to be present. 
Um, some will have their wives wear headphones with big music playing so they can't hear what you're saying. Oh, for privacy. Yeah. yeah. Other people don't care. And they're like, oh, no, well, my wife is an extension of me because I own her because I'm a fundy man. So it doesn't matter if she hears it. And they're just going to like, there's no like uh, uh, medical ethics here. There's no like secrecy. So they yeah, can just there's go also home and be no, like, <laughs> there's also no compliance with mandatory reporting laws, but that's another story. So they can literally just go home and be like, you know, I was talking to young uh, Hannah from the church today, and she was telling me that she was having thoughts about X, Y, and Z. Like, she's like, she told me she was very depressed and she was considering suicide. And like, you, you just go home and tell your wife that, but don't tell anyone else that. Like, right. And then if your wife isn't ethical, then she's going to go to ladies' prayer group the next Wednesday night and be like, well, I. I shouldn't um I shouldn't name any names, but I would like y'all to pray for a young woman in this church and her initials are H S and I'm not gonna say who it is. Of course there's only like one family with the last name S and that's a Smith family and they only have one daughter whose whose name starts with an H and that's Hannah. So clearly everybody knows who it is. But the pastor's wife is like, Well, I shouldn't say who this is, but you should pray for this young lady, her initials are HS, and I'm not going to name who she is, but she's been struggling. She's been struggling real hard with them suicidal thoughts. And then, like, the whole church knows it. I don't know why I made I the know. pastor's wife super Southern in that. I guess well, I just wanted to do southern. the accent. I guess I just wanted to do the accent today. <laughs> you do it very well. Well, my entire family is Southern. The other option is he he might leave the door cracked open enough that anyone who's walking by could see into the office and see kind of what's going on in there. But some men who are older or very highly regarded can get away with just going in to do counseling and closing the door. You have to have a really high status to get away with that. But Bill Gothard had that kind of status. I'm sure Jack Scoff also had that kind of status when he was abusing that one girl in 2012. Right, exactly. Men who are trusted by everyone around them. It's like, um, oh, well, Pastor Scoff would never. And, and men who have that perception of the people around them get these special privileges. And they are, the pastor is seen as the shepherd. So the most Innocent little sheep is safe around the shepherd. But of course, in so many of these cases, those men aren't shepherds. They're nasty wolves. And Bill Gothard? By all accounts, Bill Gothard was more loved and more worshipped than Jack Scott ever was. I would put him more just on like the level of people worshipping him. I'd put him more on the level of Jack Hiles. Wow. I've read about 10 minutes standing ovations at seminars. That's like Joseph Stalin. Yeah, uh, I, I've read about people spontaneously blurting out that they loved him. Uh, like you might yell, I love you, Axl Rose, at a concert, you know? The people spontaneously hugging him, people feeling like they could not resist his power. He was the man of God, big time. He was the one who could always get his prayers answered. If you wanted a prayer answered, you asked him to pray for you. And he was the one who had an answer to every question because God had given him this exceptional wisdom. So Bill Gothard would get these girls in to be his secretary, and he had this kind of status so he could get them alone in his office for hours at a time with the door closed. And that doesn't seem very good for work productivity. It doesn't. Uh, just for clarity, I believe that I have read that his door had a glass panel in it, like a, like a classroom door might have. Oh, okay. Uh, but still, 
I don't know if it had a curtain, and still, the door being closed makes it a separate room from other people, which still makes it against Fundy rules, regardless whether there's a panel in the door or not. Another thing that, so so Gother would get them in, get them to be secretaries, start acclimating them to being in his office alone for long periods, and then another thing that he would typically do early in this relationship with these young girls was to offer them cash. He would ask if there was anything they needed, like new outfits or new shoes, he would just peel off money from like a gangster style stash that he kept in his Damn. desk drawers and tell them, go buy whatever you need. And if you need anything else, come back to me. Bank bills Gothard. So bank bills Gothard, I guess, bank wasn't that far Gothard. off. <laughs> bank bills Gothard. He's like combination cult leader and sugar daddy. That's like. And and this was one of the first steps of his grooming. What's stunning to me is I've been reading the stories of seven of these young women and then a couple additional people who knew one of the young women at the time that the abuse was happening and can vouch for her character, can vouch for details of her story uh, to just to add additional credibility. Okay. And what's, what's stunning to me, so these stories happened over the course of 30 years. The first story starts in 1970. Gothard had an 18-year-old or, you know, younger secretary consecutively from that first woman in 1970 until the last one left in 2000. And he did all of the exact same creepy things to every last one of them. He has such an established pattern. All of them. Yeah. So it's not like not every. So the cash thing, the cash thing happened to maybe five of them and different parts of it happened. No one person was unique. He had his pattern fits together so seamlessly Uh, but i guess also you know if you feel like you're indebted to somebody you're gonna let some things slide right right so like inappropriate behavior you know so the initial move there is to get there to be an imbalance of power and then you also get plausible deniability so you can say well i gave her some money at the beginning for books and for for clothes and stuff and for for new shoes because I thought that, you know, she, she would need it. And then she said that she would make up an allegation against me if I didn't give her even more money. And I don't know, like, you know, that's usually the line. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that whole, that whole direction it could go. That's always what you hear from, from people who get accused. They're like, she, I'm the, I'm really the victim here. She told me that if I didn't do this, then, you know, which, yeah, yeah. Right. So, After giving the money, Gothard would start to gather information on these young women. He would have them working in his office for like for 12 hours a day or more. Um, He would pick them up in his car before work was supposed to start at 6 a.m. or earlier. And sometimes they wouldn't finish their day working with him until 10 p.m. And even outside those hours, he would offer them counseling and he'd start to gather information that he could use to build more emotional intimacy with them and and who does this sound like to jack you? scop yep the, this this sounds like it's right out of his playbook yep this is probably exactly what jack scop did i mean as closely as we know jack scop is just a lot meaner and apparently a lot bolder yeah you know also in a group where a lot of relationships with other people are limited you know because they try to keep you from really saying how you feel about all things the, the any sort of emotional intimacy is going to feel a whole lot stronger plus what these women are 17 18 19 years old mm-hmm. right right they haven't had real emotional intimacy before 
that isn't going to come with their future husbands until like probably months or years until after they've already been married. Exactly. Right? Right. So Gothard would start getting these girls to give up information about quote unquote sins in their life. Uh, In one case, there was a boy that she had dated before coming to headquarters and she just couldn't get over him. And her sin was that she couldn't stop thinking about him or writing him letters, even though she knew she shouldn't. Uh, In another case, her sin, the girl's sin was popular music. So Gothard would figure out like what their sin was so that he would have something to hold over their heads. And then he would start counseling them about how to fix these sins And when they were done getting counseling, he would have them pray together. So he'd had a little couch on his office for counseling. And he'd sit very close to them on the couch and hold their hands while they they spilled their guts about their supposed sins. And then he'd get them to pray with him and he'd hold their hands or stroke their hair while they prayed. So the counseling couch is like the fundy version of the casting couch. You know, that would be funny. That really could be funny. Except Except for... Except for it's too accurate, and I just can't bring myself to laugh at that. I mean, that's unfortunately. like a, the, the Jack Scop, like literally, literally. Like, exactly. Like, actually, that's what happened. Yeah. Like, I wish it wasn't, but it, like it is. Um, yeah, but but like in these room, like in these groups, like are these weird, th- like for your, are these odd things for your pastor to be asking you about, or is this normal? No, it would be normal for a pastor to be asking you about that kind of thing. That's not really out of the ordinary at all. But it's what you do with the information, right? Right. Yeah, so it's like falling in love with your therapist like Tony Soprano. You mean like Robin from How I Met Your Mother? Oh, yeah. That was a very strange plot line. That was a strange story arc. and That was really weird. I didn't like that story arc. That was definitely a violation of medical ethics. Yeah, yeah, it was. I've also never, then again, like back to the Bill Gothard story, I've never had a therapist try to hold my hand or stroke my hair. Yeah, no, you. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not not something that's ever happened to me in my extensive therapy. Another thing that I've never had a therapist try to do is tell me that I needed to fix things about my personal appearance. So you remember those 10 unchangeables and how God made you perfect the way you are and you shouldn't try to make alterations to your appearance. Yes. One of these women who has told her story had some skin tags on her neck. She didn't mind them. They didn't bother her. But Gothard said that they distracted from her countenance and he took her without her, without her permission, without her being consulted. He took her to a doctor to have them removed. And she got there and she's like, what are we at the doctor for? And he's like, to have those skin tags removed. And she's like, no, I don't want to have them removed. And he was like, yeah, you're having them removed. And they got removed. Another one of these seven women who have published their stories on recovering in grace had a gap in her front teeth. And Gothard tried to do the same thing and take her to a dentist against her wishes to get the gap filled in her front teeth. That's very weird. Yeah. And, and considering that there's like... There's less violence in this story than there is in some other stories that we've told. This might be like the this might be the worst part. Yeah. And I, I don't want to discount the evil of the non-consensual things that he did do, but it's a very different kind of evil than say what Jack Scott did or what Dave Hiles allegedly did, uh, which I believe I just can't say he I can't I can't say he absolutely did for legal reasons. <laughs> oh, it I 
definitely think that he did it. I can 100% say that I think he did. I think Dave Hiles is guilty. I just, uh, that's about all I can say. Cause I yeah, don't want to get sued. I mean, this isn't like throw him in jail for the rest of his life, but this is like greasy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think he tried anything though? Like, does anybody say that he tried anything or is this just him being a weirdo who picks pretty girls and wants them to like, and tries to fix their teeth and stuff? I have not yet come across any allegation of Bill Gothard trying to have sex with any of these people, whether physically or verbally coercing them. I have not come across any allegation of that. However, there was a lot of weird and inappropriate and grooming type sexual harassment type touching. Mm. So he'd get these girls financially beholden to him. He'd start making alterations to their bodily integrity, which is just so up. He would start controlling what they wore or how they did their hair. And all of this is him exerting his control over their bodies. And you have to remember, these girls were raised to believe that a man is always in control of your body one way or another. So this is like the fundy version of buying your sugar baby new boobs, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's like weirder and worse and gross and non-consensual. Right. Except for sugar babies are, are, are often consenting adults who choose to go that direction with their lives and also who choose to have a boob job if that's what they want to have did you see tiger king yes do you remember that guy like that doc antle guy who like ran oh my the, god that guy he was such a grease ball oh he was the worst he, he i mean they were everybody in that show was the worst but like there was the one woman who signed up to like to to work for him because she just liked animals and she liked big cats and then like all of a sudden she's like, oh, and then I saw on the schedule that there was a doctor's appointment for me to get uh, breast implants. <laughs> it's exactly like that, though. It's it's yeah. just being informed that you're going to have a medical procedure that will permanently change your body. Yeah, of course, Bill Gothard would never lower himself to the level of paying for a boob job. But he, you know, he likes his women with straight teeth and no skin tags on their neck i guess i don't know and also with extremely long hair so after gothard had started to exert this control he'd ramp up the touching and apparently sorry this is nasty apparently he's really into footsie footsie yeah like rubbing your feet on other people's feet as a flirting sorry i'm gagging Mm. a little bit um, so these girls weren't just his secretaries, they were his companions. Gothard traveled constantly all over the country, sometimes internationally, doing seminars, checking up on other ATI bases around the world, or sometimes starting new ATI bases. So these girls went with him to Hawaii, Thailand, Germany, just all over the world. This is literally just a hundred percent sugar daddy treatment, except with no sex. Like, yeah, these, this is very gross. This is not. It is like it is really <laughs> gross. So these girls the were his emotionally. Stuff. Yeah, they were his emotional sounding boards as well as his footsie buddies. He mm. would talk to them about everything, and he would take up much, if not all, of their day. He would get these girls to sit next to him on these big long car rides and plane flights. And on plane flights, he'd put he'd ask a stewardess for a blanket to put over both of them. 
But then, like, he wouldn't do what you might think he would do. He'd just put his hand on their thigh, play with their hair, and ask them to style their hair differently for him. He'd call them to his hotel room late at night. And again, Uh, like, he'd be like, come to my hotel room. I want to pray with you. And then they'd get there. And in an absolutely mind-blowing turn of events, he actually just prayed with them. (laughs) Like, he'd hold their hand and pray with them. This man is a very surprising man. It's weird and it's unsettling. <laughs> um, so he'd get the girls to sit on his lap. He'd take off his shoes. I feel he, like it would be it's less creepy if he were actually like a sexual predator. Yes. Yeah. That, that's this. I, am I am I wrong for feeling like that? No, like that would be mm. worse, but it would somehow be less creepy. Like it would make more sense. You get what I'm saying? Right. Like that's. You know, that's bad, but that's what bad people do. This yeah. is just so weird. It's like he had all the power in the world, and what he wanted to do was illicitly hold hands. And that's just like, it squicks me weirdo. out. That's what, what I said. Freak. Like, the, the violence factor is low on this one, but the weirdness and, like, squickiness factor is very high. So he'd, like, play footsie with them under the dinner table and in the van when it was dark. And that was kind of what he would do. And it was just 100% creepy touching. Nothing else. Yep. And so he was never married. So he never tried to actually like marry any of these women. Right. Some of the earlier girls, like when he was in his 40s, not his 70s, some of the earlier girls who had more like a 15 to 20 year old year age difference with him and not a 60 year old age difference. Some of them thought that he was maybe going to propose to them. She's she's like, what, 23 and he's like 40. 46. Yeah. Which like in the IFB world, younger women and older men is more common than it is in the in the real world. Well, that's not horribly uncommon now. Right. And it it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Um, Not that that kind of relationship isn't for everybody. As long as there's like a a, not like a horrible power imbalance. Right. Like they're. There are good and consensual and healthy relationships where there's a large age, age gap. Um, as long as everybody involved is certainly over 18, but preferably over 21. Ruth's story started in 1970. Me and Betty White. Um, uh, you know what? <laughs> if you want to be in a relationship with Betty White, I 100% support you. You are old enough to know what you want. She can and, get it. <laughs> yeah. And like Betty White would be lucky to have you. And... Yeah, she would probably be a great podcast wife for you, too. So I'm I'm down for that. Yeah. So he's trying to get like the emotional that like the, the emotional like devotion and stuff without making the actual commit. Like, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's trying, he's to, get trying both sides to get, get yeah. not the sexual pleasure necessary, but necessarily, but definitely sexual excitement and maybe not emotional full emotional intimacy but definitely a measure of emotional intimacy and he's trying to kind of get all of that get as close as he can to being married without being married Hmm. but then again some of the things that he did are just wrong just like not grooming they're actually harassment and assault and terrible for example one of these girls said that he gave her money and told her to buy push-up bras and to wear them around him at all times huh he never asked to see the bras on her body, 
but he would make her sit there and describe them. And then he and he would never touch under her clothes, but he would touch her over her clothes all the time. That particular mm. person says that he also kissed her on the lips one time, like when she told him that she was leaving the IBLP. But no proposals or any like, huh? No proposals, no like come to my hotel room and let's do more than pray. Just like a ins- insanely huge mess of weirdness and grossness. That's this all. This is weird. Like the, the push-up bras, that is weird. That's weird. That's so gross, you know? And here's me saying that he would never like get anybody a boob job. He would just be like, I heard about these newfangled bras that make your t- enormous. Like that's... <sighs> and, and then he's getting away with all of this too. Like in this place that's supposed to be super spiritual. Because he's got that kind of power. And this one is just, this one is not cut and dry. Like man has power, man abuses power. This one is man has power, man abuses power in strange and unexpected ways. The first ATI scandal happened in 1980. This is like being a billionaire and then spending all your money on Slim Jims. Right. This is like... (laughs) Yeah. So the first scandal happened... In 1980, and it was actually Bill Gothard's brother, Steve Gothard. Steve had been like sexually assaulting young women, uh, in a in a much more severe and forcible sense than Bill was. Oh. Uh, Steve Gothard was just so intense, like personality wise, in his crimes and his beliefs, everything. He was just like way more intense. And Steve had a high ranking place within the IBLP and the ATI, and Bill was like his brother was like his boss well bill knew that his brother was a predator and he was still funneling young girls to his brother oh that's not like good. one of these secretaries that bill wow. sexually harassed uh she pissed him off and he sent her to the headquarters where his brother was working so it's like his, and punishment. his brother ended up raping her wow oh that's horrible yeah so it's like you have to do what i say or i will send you oh. yeah or i'll send you to the other headquarters and you know who works there oh that's so it's horrible. not, and that kind of shows that it's not like Bill Gothard isn't a sick, evil man, uh, because he is. He's just a sick, evil man who's either too scared to jump in the deep end of evil himself, or worse, and this is kind of my theory, and this is pretty gross. I think that Bill Gothard actually has a conscience, and he knows that what he's doing is wrong, but he can't stop himself from giving in just a little bit. I honestly wonder, like... Like, what does do you think he has like just some weird religious hang up about it or or what? It, I, I think he really just doesn't like women. And I'm not trying to make an assumption about his sexuality at all. I realize the way I phrase that could come off as like me saying, oh, well, he does like men. Not, not at all what I'm saying. What I mean is that he dislikes women, like he hates them, like he hates women, like. In a serial killer whose mother was mean to them, and so now they're grown up and they're a serial killer who kills sex workers. Like that. Like, he he hates women. Mm, I think that's probably part of it. I think also maybe he likes status symbols. You know what I'm saying? And, and have yeah. beautiful women on your arm, that's a status symbol, right? Right. Yeah, and power over beautiful women, that is a status symbol. Even if he, like, has no personal sexual interest in them, he, he just likes having things. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a possibility, especially because he's created a cult where women are a thing that can be owned. Yeah, it's it's very possessive. Right. And I think maybe he, he's kind of 
exerting some amount of possession. If anyone else's boyfriend was like, you are going right now to get a piece of your body removed or major dental work done and you don't have a choice, that would be awful. That would be shocking. If one of my friend's boyfriends did that, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess you're sleeping on my couch. Uh, Aside of the ownership theory, I think another theory might be that he's on the asexual spectrum somewhere. And, And I only say that because... It's my opinion that if he really wanted to have sex with these women, he could have and would have. I mean, he clear, Yeah. If he really wanted to, he had all the access. He had all the time. He had all the trust. And he would have gotten away with it. He, the only reason he wouldn't, yeah, and he would have gotten away with it. The only reason he wouldn't have done it is because he didn't want to or he decided not to, one or the other. Well, he clearly cares a lot about sex from like a biological standpoint. So like what, you know, what with all of like the charting of cycles and that, but it seems very strange that he has never gotten married and never tried it for himself. That, that yeah, just, that is, that is odd. I think he's kind of grossed out by sex and that's just my opinion, just my thought, but he goes to extreme lengths to regulate when married couples have sex. He's going to great lengths to try to get unmarried couples to avoid having sex And when he's being a predator, he's choosing underage or barely not underage women with this very pure virginal look to them. And he was also known for grilling these girls about whether they'd had sex before, whether they had ever kissed a boyfriend and whether they'd ever been sexually abused. So almost like he views sex as some sort of like necessary evil. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that sounds maybe right. Like it's a necessary evil to to keep the human species going. And if you're going to give in to your baser instincts, like if you are going to do it, it needs to be for a purpose, which is why there is all of these measures in place to make sure that to make sure you're not having sex if there's no chance that you could not get pregnant from. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if you're going to have sex, there had better be a high likelihood that you are going to get pregnant from it. So you're pregnant as often as possible. Like this also tracks with why he would want to ensure that couples be apart for two weeks out of the month or like a week and a half of them like it's just very strange and all of this grooming behavior that he, like he gets himself into is he's like he's like edging himself you know what i'm saying it's like that's oh, yeah, yeah i didn't want to be the one to have to say that because that's honestly yeah. so nasty but that is really really truly exactly what i see here like he's he's like let me get as close as possible as i can but not actually do the deed Right. Like, I think like I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think he gets off on the almost doing something really bad thing, uh, which is just so immature for like a grown ass man who has Mm. an entire like he's an entire ass cult leader. Like, why does he have to be such a I mean, I, I mean, I guess I'm glad because he didn't harm people any worse than he did. I've been bad. I I ate all the cake from the fridge. It's gross. All the leftovers from your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I think from my perspective, as somebody who has cold experience, you know, I lived in an environment where holding hands was like hugely transgressive. Side hug almost got you kicked out of school. Side hug almost got me kicked out of college. I think that the risk of what he was doing and the taboo of this kind of touching was exciting enough to him. And of course, like he also had the power of being able to tell people how to dress to his exact specifications and also to be able to tell them how to style their hair or even to coerce them into changing parts of their body permanently. I think that that kind of power 
was enough to produce sexual excitement for him. Yeah, I mean, if you're not allowed to do something and then you're like, I'm going to do like, it anyway. That makes it like a thousand times hotter, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I think like that he had all this power over people. It's dangerous. And he had a little bit of sexual contact, like very small amounts of sexual contact. And I think that those two things combined were enough to keep him going. And then he could justify everything he was doing to himself because he could always say to himself, well, I'm not a rapist like my brother. So he could still feel like a good person. I t- That's my profile. I know we yeah. like to do completely non-professional criminal profiles on this show. I mean, this is like low-key some true crime though, right? Because Right. I think anything yeah. cult belongs with true crime. Yeah, because um, we can, you know, break it down. We can be like, ooh, what kind of guy was this guy? Really get into it. Right. Like, I think for the same reason that Jack Scopp referenced marriage. He referenced eternal marriage, spiritual marriage, spiritual wifehood. He met, he mentioned all these things in his letters to his victim. And in my opinion, that was a way of Scott self-justifying and making himself feel like he wasn't such a bad guy after all. Yeah. I think well, that's kind of what Gothard's doing here. I, I, I think you have a point. To me, I th- like this feels like it's endemic of something bigger. So like when we talked about Steven Anderson and the new IFB, we talked about taking the ideas of the IFB, right? With the, the King James version only ism, right? With regards to the anti-gay, mm-hmm. the Udenhas, the, you know, taking that to its logical conclusion ideologically. And then just taking that idea, running with it until the string runs out, taking it as far as you can go. That's what Steven Anderson did. For me, the, the, the same thing is going on with the IBLP, except instead of it being about anti-gay, I mean, I, of course, the IBLP is anti-gay, but instead of it being about the anti-gay stuff, the K- KJV onlyism, all that stuff, the anti-Semitism, it's about sexual purity. The sexual purity is the number one thing. So if you have a society that views the sexual purity as the number one thing, is very weird about sex, views sex as sinful, impure, cause of the downfall of man... You stretch it to its logical conclusion. This is what you're going to end up with. This is the result. It, that's that's exactly it. What you also end up with is a culture where sexual abuse within families is just, I was going to say prevalent, but prevalent isn't even a strong enough word. It's just so common that it's more likely to happen than not to happen. Yeah, you know, like you said before, almost every woman that you'd met from the IBLP had been molested by a brother. That's something that, that, my, that somebody said on TikTok uh actually but yes it's literally that common uh, according to to multiple people's testimonies from the iblp in the ifb like based on my own knowledge there's definitely prevalent uh child abuse in the ifb just about every ifb woman that i know has been subjected to if not sexual assault certainly some lesser form of harassment or grooming uh but the iblp is is totally different it's a whole new level it's just everywhere it's really just not a safe or healthy environment uh in which you want to raise your family at all it's despite not. what they say about it being like the best thing for families and the, the best families you know but right family values of and one thing that i noticed in all of these women's stories is that gothard became more bold with how he would treat these young women over time so the first of the seven stories that i used as a reference for this started in 1970 
and the latest one ended in 2000. And then the scandal broke in 2014. So in the earliest story that's in the set of seven on recovering grace, recovering in grace. So in the earliest story of the seven that are on the recovering in grace website, it's Ruth's story. Everything that he did to her was done in private. By the time we get to the stories that happened about 10 years later, he's holding hands with many different girls. What a slut. Like all the time. Like he would do this with every pretty girl and just walk down the street holding hands with whoever was cute and standing next to him. Mm-hmm. And other people in the IVLP are seeing it and he's just getting away with it. But the other touching, footsie, the hair stroking, the inappropriate emotional intimacy, all of that is still secret. And then you go 10 more years and you've got a girl telling the story about he's playing footsie with her in front of IBLP leaders, like out in the open, not under a table or anything. And they're just ignoring it like it's not happening. So he got so much more bold over time, but he did very much the same pattern of behavior with all of these girls and all of these young women. So he's a very predictable predator. Well, also, you know, the older you get, the greater age difference there is between the man and his target. Like, the more likely it's going to be waved off as, oh, he's just an old man. Oh, he's from a different era. Oh, you must have misunderstood his intent. Like that. Yeah. I consider it somewhat of a miracle that I escaped the IFB without ever being sexually abused. But I can tell you for sure that there were a lot of times that men were trusted around me to an extent that if they had decided to be a predator, they would have gotten away with it. So it was just blind luck that those men chose to be good men. Yeah, I mean, you've got enough PTSD as it is. You don't need that on top of it. (laughs) I agree, (laughs) but I look at this as an obligation. It's not something to laugh about. Well, you know, the way I look at that, it's not like, I think it would be really crappy of me to say, oh, well, God saved me from that because I've been through enough. Well, okay, well, why didn't God save uh, Elsa Garcia? Because she'd been through enough. Like, why would God, why would God spare me and not her? So I don't look at it that way because I think that that's inherently twisted and inherently disrespectful of other victims who have been through different things than I have. How I do look at this is as an obligation. This is one place where I don't happen to have a lot of damage or a lot of baggage. So I feel that I have a a sacred obligation to do my best to speak out about sexual abuse in the church in place of and for all of the people who were so hurt and so damaged by this abuse that they have to take care of their mental and physical health and they can't speak about it much. There are a lot of people who just can't deal with this topic because they were a victim. And I feel that the fact that I wasn't a victim of this particular type of abuse makes me have an easier time speaking out. So I feel like I'm absolutely obligated to use my voice for that because I can. And we've gotten countless, countless, countless listener stories sent to us about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, we, we get dozens. My goodness, yeah. Every, literally every Just, day. Every day it's somewhere. It's on my social media or podcast social media. Or Facebook group or email. or It's you just, know, just messages all the time. And we love getting them, yeah. by the way. Please don't stop sending us. Oh, please, yeah, please don't stop sending us messages. We, we love that. We do get them and we read all of every single message that you send to us. We read it and we probably talk to each other about it. It's strange to me how these really strict gender roles cause all kinds of confusion and cause double standards. Because what I was taught growing up, men are to be leaders and men are to be trusted. Except for you can't trust men because they're sex maniacs who can't control themselves if they see a knee or a shoulder. But also 
men should be in charge of everything. And if a man in authority tells you to dress a certain way or do your hair a certain way, you should do it. But also men are lustful and anything that looks good to a man is probably a sin, but dress so that your husband can show you off and show other people how hot you are without. But if other people think you're hot, then you sin. Well, it's a, yeah. it's a no win situation. Is what it that is. is. Really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like we've said before that, you know, predators are in every group of people. But if you have this extreme purity culture, if you have this system set up where victims are going to be blamed or held responsible for quote for air quotes, their part in it, you know, when they come forward and the abusers are going to be given like a slap on the wrist or, or, or you know, told that they weren't responsible. You know, you have a situation where abusers are allowed and able to thrive rather than being held accountable or people are made aware and they aren't given the opportunity to reoffend. It's just a, a bad situation, you know? Clergy members in particular molest children actually at the exact rate that other men do given un- unimpeded access to children. It's what, 4%? Uh, around 4%. 1 uh, in 25. Clergy members with access to preschool children choose to commit the crime of molesting those children uh, at about at about four percent and preschool teachers who are men who have access that is not supervised to preschool children offend at a rate of about four percent so the difference isn't the number of predators that become pastors the difference is the level of access that people have to children Purity culture, I believe, absolutely creates offenders within families. People like Josh Duggar in the past, uh, the thing, the the first thing that he went down for. Purity culture made that happen, and I believe that. But purity culture doesn't cause a clergy member or an adult man in authority to become a predator. What this culture does, though, is it puts men in authority with little to no oversight and little to no training. This culture of patriarchy worships men and elevates them to an untouchable level. And that gives the ones who are predators at heart access. In Bill Gothard's case, he had access to dozens of young women the ability to harass and molest them, sometimes directly in front of other people, and to not be questioned and not be stopped from doing that. So I wanted to, to make that distinction because purity culture is absolutely dangerous and it absolutely does hurt people. But I think what's more dangerous is letting this strange little man with a foot fetish who has never been married tell you how to run your marriage, tell you how to raise your family, and tell you what to eat and drink and wear and watch and listen to. Because that's how you enable a predator. Very well put. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. So I want to recommend that anybody who's interested in learning more about this, go follow uh, backslidden.harlot on TikTok. B-A-C-K-S-L-I-D-D-E-N dot H-A-R-L-O-T. She is amazing. She's writing a book on her experience growing up in the IBLP. And she is one of the most thorough researchers on this topic. Her insights and her depth of research are so good. She's so worth a follow. Uh, Spooky Patootie, S-P-O-O-K-Y-P-A-T-O-O-T-I-E. They talk about family abuse within the IBLP and like the the messed up family dynamics that, that the ATI and IBLP enabled. And then I Blame Bill is another TikToker who talks more specifically about the Bill Gothard scandals and um, the system he created. There are tons of good ex-ATI TikTokers, and I don't want to exclude anybody. Those are just three that I personally follow personally, really enjoy their content. Bank Bills Gothard. 
I blame really Bank Bills Gothard. <laughs> bad guy all around. Yeah. Anything else we want to say before we go? Uh, yeah, actually, I have a closing statement. I want to reiterate that even though these two parts will probably be four hours long when you put the two episodes together, that's not even a start on what has been done by Bill Gothard and the ATI. I, I hope that this overview was helpful. I hope that I sparked some interest and people will do more reading and more research into a specific area if they want a more full picture. I have a resource list about a mile long for these episodes. I will post it on our social media when this episode comes out. Um, and I have all the Recovering in Grace website links that I used to prepare for this. I have other blogs. I'll have those TikTok handles in there. This is a huge picture, and we were only able to show you a small part of it on this episode. But I hope that I hope that we covered something that makes you interested in learning more because there is no way we could cover everything about this man on just just two episodes. Yeah, he's a he's a greasy, greasy dude. Ah, uh, man. Mm. But speaking of social media, uh, you can follow the podcast social media at uh, Leaving Eden Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Leaving Eden Pod on Twitter. Please, 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 please send us your emails. Uh, to leavingedenpod at gmail.com. Next week, uh, we are going to be having a, 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 a Ask Us a Mailbag episode. It's a Q&A episode. That's our next oh, one. Oh, I like Mailbag episode better. Mailbag, Q&A. Okay, it's going to be Q&Bag. Because I think I, I think I have a correction to make that I haven't corrected on air yet. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to be really good. We've got that coming up. Um, and then after that, we have some fun stuff. Uh, Sadie and I are going to go to, eventually we're going to go to uh, a, a museum and look at dinosaur bones, which will be fun. Yeah. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yep. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. You can follow me on TikTok at either Sadie Carpenter One or Hell Yes Sadie. I don't even know which one my handle is. Just check Just check both of them. Uh, or just follow the podcast at Leaving Eden, Leaving Eden Podcast. Leaving Eden, Eden, I I don't know what it is. You do the TikTok. It's either Leaving Eden Podcast or Leaving Eden Pod. Y'all have heard me say this enough times. I don't care anymore. Just find me. Uh, And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. And until next week, we're going to have a a great time uh, answering your questions. Please send them to us. Uh, We've got most of them picked out. I think the ones that we're going to answer but uh, we still have a couple. But if somebody sent us a really awesome one, I would totally want to answer it. Uh, and until next time, uh, you guys have a nice day. Bye bye. But old rolling river tide healed me in too many days. No regrets, no Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. 
Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.